Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. About how the enemy's sole goal, the enemy's only goal, is to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he does that, one of the ways he does that, is by telling you lies. If he can get you to believe a lie, then that lie will impact your life as if it were true, right? If you believe a lie to be true, then that lie will impact your life as if it were true. Uh, And two weeks ago, we talked about um, how to destroy the strongholds. We talked about what a stronghold is in our mind. We talked about how to destroy it. Uh, And we talked about the greatest weapon that we have available to us is uh, is God's Word and how we should use it like a sword and cut up the enemy with God's Word uh, two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about how to rewire or how to reprogram our thoughts with uh, making an adjustment. Uh, We need to adjust what we're thinking about. We need to adjust the time that we spend thinking about stuff. Uh, And then we talked about we should adjust it to think about praiseworthy things like Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 8. Um, we talked about the way our, the science in your mind and how your mind, every time you think a thought, your mind creates a neuro pathway so that when you think a thought once, it's easier to think that thought the second time because of that neuro pathway that has been created in your mind. And so uh, God's goal for us, Paul tells us in Romans 12 verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we have available through to us, through God's power, the ability to renew those neuro pathways that are in our mind and we need to take those neuro pathways and turn them into God trenches. Uh, So we take the little pathways that are created in our mind when we think negative thoughts and we turn those into trenches we turn those into big old ditches when we uh, when we um, think about godly things and think about Christ-like things. So today we're going to talk about another aspect of our thought life and of our mind. Before we do a quick question Quick question. Once Satan tells you a lie, once the enemy implants a lie in your mind, maybe you see it through a family member, a thought comes to you that's not true. Maybe you're at Walmart, okay, in the afternoon trying to go through the self-checkout, and a thought comes to you that's not real pleasant, right? That's not real positive in your mind. And once those lies have been defeated by the renewing of your mind, like Paul tells us to, once you've been transformed and your mind has been renewed, your, those old neuro pathways are turned into trenches for the Lord. Once that happened, the question I have for you is, does the enemy stop? Does he give up? Does he think, well, Rochelle wins this time. I quit. Does he give Rochelle a high five saying, good job, Rochelle? No. No, 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 no. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 16, this is the, uh, this is the armor of God stuff, you know, all that stuff. Um, at the very end of it, he tells us this in verse 16, in addition, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Notice the word arrows. What is at the end of that word arrows? What letter? An S, which means what? It's plural. I'm an English teacher all of a sudden. What does plural mean? More than one. Paul tells us that the enemy will not only throw one flaming arrow your way, he won't only try to attack you with one lie, he won't attack you one time. Paul says there's going to be multiples. There's going to be more than one flaming arrow coming at you. In the Greek words here, the New Testament is written in Greek, um, the word flaming arrows is in the perfect tense, which means this. Which means this, perfect tense means that it was written thousands of years ago, it was written then, and it's still true today. Which that tells us two things about, about what Paul is saying about uh, the enemy's flaming arrows. It's telling us two things. One, when he, the enemy lights it on fire and shoots the flaming arrow, it's still doing it today. He will continually barrage you. He will continually shoot arrows at you. He will continually attack your mind and attack you so that he can get you to believe the lies that he wants you to believe because a lie believed as true will impact your life as if it were true. Satan doesn't stop. The scriptures say he prowls around. He's always prowling around, looking for you, looking to destroy you, looking to take you out, looking to lie to you, trying to deceive you so that you can believe what he is saying over what the Lord says. Satan is after us, and he does not stop. It also tells us a second thing, the fact that it's in the perfect tense. Um, it means this. Satan lights the flaming arrow. He shoots it, he sends his attack your way, and he lights it however long ago when he shot you that attack. The perfect tense means that it's still burning today. It's still burning today. So if Satan can't get you with a lie about what's going on in your life today, Satan's plan is this. I shot them 20 years ago with a lie. That flaming arrow still burns today. If Satan can't get you to believe his lies from today, well, the next best thing is to get you to believe a lie from the past. And that, my friends, is what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes today. If Satan can't get you to believe a lie today, he's got no problem going in your past. He's got no problem going through your closet. He's got no problem going back to five years ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 or 50 or 60 years ago. He's got no problem at all going in your past to get you to believe a lie that he has told you before. And so that, my friends, uh, is what we're going to spend a few minutes on 
talking about today. When Satan does this, when the enemy does this, when the enemy tries to bring up our past, when the enemy tries to get us to go back and to rethink and to relive, um, what happens is that is where we get things like unforgiveness in our life. That's where we get things like resentment in our life. All those things come from past events and past decisions um, that we have made. The enemy will say things like, like this. Um, hey, listen, don't forget what he said to you that one time and your defense is well that was 20 years ago and the enemy says yeah it was 20 years ago remember how bad it hurt there's no reason for you not to forget it there's no reason for it still not to hurt you today remember how bad it hurt then it still hurts bad today. What they said was terrible. What they said was horrible. What they did was terrible. What they took from you was terrible. I know it's been 20 years ago. I know it's been 30 years ago. I know it's been 40 years ago. But man, it still hurts today. If the enemy can't get you for today, he's got no problem going back then. Now, in the Lord, in God, we have forgiveness for everything that has been done to us and that we have done around us um, from years past. In God, we have forgiveness. The word says that God can separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west and uh, that we have been separated, we've been forgiven from our sin. The enemy will tell you, no, you haven't. God can't do that. God can't take that sin away that far. God can't do that. You know how bad that was? Remember that decision you made 15 years ago? Remember those words you said to your husband or to your wife or to your son or to your daughter or to your mom or to your dad? You think God's going to forgive that? No. Remember that addiction you had 20 years ago? Remember how bad it got? You really think, you really think God wants to forgive you of that? If Satan can't get you today, he's got no problem going in your past and getting you for your yesterdays. One of the ways he does that, and I've got two things I want to tell you about this morning, I want to talk with you about this morning, and then we're going to talk about how we can do, what we do to fight against it, is Satan will use your regrets of yesterday to impact your life today. Satan will use your regrets of yesterday to impact your life um, today. You know what a regret is, right? We all have them. I believe that there are times in our life where all of us, either consciously or subconsciously, are prisoners of past decisions. We're prisoners of either past things that we did or past things that we wish we would have done. You ever have like those if-only times in your life where you would say like, if only I would have said, if only I would have done, if only I wouldn't have went to Myrtle Beach that July of 1976, my life would be completely different. If only I would have went over there and saw that friend, if only I wouldn't have gone and talked to that person. Those feelings of regret that we have today, of what happened, the decision that we made back then, the choices we made in the past, that leads to regret today. So what regret leads to is us thinking there's no way that God can fix that from back then. 
because that's what the enemy tells us. The enemy tells you, God can't do anything about that. That's 20 years ago. You messed up. You made that mistake. That's on you, and now you're living with it. Um, I did a funeral uh, two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. When was that funeral, Kelly? Two weeks ago? Yes. I did a funeral for a friend of mine. His name's Kenny. Kenny was a 37-year-old buddy of mine. He had an older brother that's a year older than I am. His brother's name's Sammy. Uh, Kenny, uh, Sammy found Kenny one morning, one Saturday morning, just randomly walked into Kenny's house, found him dead, laying in his bed. Um, nothing around Kenny to, that had any evidence of what happened. He found him uh, unresponsive and, and dead one Saturday morning. Uh, a couple days later, I called Sammy, check in on him. He asked if I would do his funeral. I said, bro, I would love to. Um, it would be my pleasure to be able to, to help you out, your family, and to do this for Kenny. Um, and anytime you do, this was the first funeral I did for an unexpected death, right? First of all, death is never easy. Amen? Death is never easy. Um, but when you do, I've done funerals in the past for older people in their 80s and 90s where families have already kind of come to terms that, you know, the end of their life, the end of mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, it's drawing closer than what, than what it was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, those funerals are different than unexpected funerals. This was the first funeral I did for an unexpected death for a 37-year-old friend of mine and a friend of, friend of our families. Um, and when I did it, while I was praying before the funeral, there's two things that I wanted to do. One, obviously you want to talk about Kenny, right? You want to honor Kenny, you want to remember Kenny. But two, there's a lot of people that were at the funeral that was hurting. There's a lot of people there that was in pain. There's a lot of people there that had a lot of questions. So I wanted to, one, remember Kenny, and I wanted to, two, to give hope and encouragement and life and some peace and love to the family members and friends of Kenny that were there. So here's what I shared with him. I shared with him John chapter 11. You know what happened in John chapter 11? Sweet, let me tell you. Let me tell you. That was when Jesus' friend Lazarus, when Lazarus died, you know Jesus' friend Lazarus, he died. Jesus got the word. Four days later, he went to Bethany where Lazarus lived. As he was walking into Bethany, uh, G- uh, Lazarus' sister, Martha, come running up to Jesus. And you know what she said? You remember what she said? If you had been here. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then a couple moments later, uh, Lazarus' other sister, Mary, come running up to Jesus. You know what Mary said, first thing she said to Jesus? Same thing. She said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And I told the people at this funeral, and I will share with you the same thing today. If you have regrets in your life, if you have if-only moments in your life, if there, Satan has brought up your past into your presence and has told you that if only you would not have said that, you would be in a much better place. If only you would have not have went there, you would be in a much better place. If only you hadn't have done those things, God would love you more today. If that is you today, please know today that the two words that Mary and Martha both said to Jesus were the words Lord and the words if. Please know today that the word if only asks questions from the past that cannot be answered in the present. Does that make sense? The word if 
only ask questions about the past that cannot be answered in the present. I told the people at the funeral, I said, hey, listen, some of you may be saying, if I would have known, if I could have been there, if I would have called him, maybe Kenny would still be alive. And the truth is, it's okay to, to ask if, and it's okay to think about if. We get ourselves in trouble when we take if home with us, and when we live with if, and when we don't let God heal those if questions. Because the truth is, if has no answers that today can answer. And the same is true for you and I today. When the enemy attacks our mind with our past regrets, if I wouldn't have said, if I would have said, I would be in a much different place. The truth is that cannot be changed today. If can only be changed by the first word that Mary and Martha said to Jesus. And if can only be changed by the word Lord. If hurts, Lord heals. If is a question, Lord is an answer. If is a past question. Lord is an answer for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the same is true for you and I today. If you are struggling with if, if you are struggling with regrets, if the enemy attacks your mind with your past, can I encourage you and challenge you? Don't live with if. There is no hope in if. There's hope in the Lord. There's redemption in the Lord. Only God himself can go into your past and change your heart in such a way where you won't, ha won't live with if anymore because God has changed your life in such a way that you can see God's goodness even through that past pain. But that doesn't come with regret. That comes with Lord. That comes with Jesus. That comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Because you know the rest of the story of Lazarus, right? Jesus got into Bethany. He said, where's he at? He went to the grave. He said, Lazarus, come out of the grave. And here comes Lazarus wrapped up, and he walked kind of mummy style out of the grave. And Jesus told him to do what? Remember? Told him to take off the grave clothes. The grave was Lazarus' past because Lazarus was no longer dead. Lazarus was now alive. Jesus is the only one that can go into your past and take out those questions and take out those regrets, to take out everything that you wish you would have done or not have done. He is the only one that can heal it today, and the enemy will use that to attack your life today. Amen? All right. If the enemy cannot get you by attacking what you have done in the past, then he's got no problem. The enemy's got no problem of using what somebody else has done to you in the past. Am I right or am I right? You ever sitting around thinking, I cannot believe. I cannot believe what my dad said to me. You ever think back? 
the way my mom treated me 30 years ago, it impacts my life today. Why would she treat me like that? If the enemy can't use your past decisions, he's got no problem using decisions that were made to you. He's got no problem using things that were said to you, things that were done to you, the way people talked to you, the way things that people took from you, relationships in your past, friendships in your past, family in your past. The enemy's got no problem bringing that up into your present today. Sadly, the church, it seems like the best advice we can give people, just move on. Just get over it. Now listen, I'm a get over it person. I'm a move on person. But can we be honest? That junk don't work. Right? Some of the things that have been said to you, some of the things that have been done to you over the years, just get over it. Okay. I'll just go climb a mountain out there while I'm at it. Just go walk across the Atlantic Ocean. No big deal. I had a young lady send me a message a couple weeks ago um, briefly telling me the relationship she had with, uh, with some people in her family and the unforgiveness, and she clearly said, I have a lot of unforgiveness in my life um, towards, towards uh, my family. And she told me a little bit about why she has that unforgiveness. And she said, everybody tells me I just need to get over it. I just need to move on. And so my reply back was, good luck. You can't just get over it. You can't just forget about it. Why? Because it hurt. It was painful. The friend you lost, the words they said, the things that you lost in your life, it hurts. And it was painful. And I told this young lady, you've got no chance of just getting over it. You can try. Give it a shot. If you want to, it ain't going to work. Three years from now, guess what? You're still going to have those same feelings of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. It's only when you allow God to help you and God to forgive through you. And I said, listen, girl, it's not in you to forgive the people when they do you wrong. It's in us to get revenge when the people do us wrong. Right? Don't act like y'all ain't ever want to slash somebody's tire because they rode your bumper coming all the way up 64 into town. Thank you. Jessica's the only honest one here this morning. And I'm not surprised. It's in us to to get revenge. It's in us to hold on to those bad feelings, to hold on to that that regret and that resentment and that bitterness and that unforgiveness. It's in us because of our sin nature to not move on. We're not made to move on. It's only with the Lord, as we said earlier, Lord, if you would have been here, Lord is where we find our healing and our hope. Lord is where we find the ability to forgive dad for what he said, to forgive husband for what he said to forgive mom for the way she treated us it's only found in the lord the enemy will attack your mind with past things that you have done that have been done to you and the only answer the only hope we have is found in the person of jesus 
Christ. The only way that we can fight against those attacks and that unforgiveness and regret and bitterness and resentment of what's happened in our life is found in the life, death, and resurrection and the hope and the peace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You can try all you want to. Give it a shot if you want to. I'll see you in two years when you tell me you still hate that person. I'll see you in two years when you tell me you still can't stand being around them. I'll see you in two years when you tell me I still want to slash their tires for the way they rear-ended me over at the restaurant that one day. Regret is only healed through Jesus. If regret's not handled right years ago, it can come up in our life today as discouragement. Right? That's where trust issues come from. Uh, That's where... Um, I didn't do it then, why do I think I should do it now, right? Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it then, I can't do it now. She didn't do it then, why would she do it now? Dad didn't do it then, why would he do it now? Discouragement from the past, regret from the past leads to res- discouragement today. And here's what happens with discouragement. If discouragement is not handled with the Lord today, then what happens is we put those same labels, we put those same relationships, that same discouragement that we have on people in the past, we put that same discouragement on the Lord and we say this. God didn't answer that prayer then. Why would he answer it today? God didn't show up and help me out then. Why would I expect him to do it today? If regret's not handled with the Lord in the past, it comes out in discouragement today. And when you get discouraged with the Lord, the last thing you want to do is to be with the Lord. You try to run from God. You got no reason to be with the Lord. You got no reason to talk to the Lord. You got no reason to put any trust in God. Look at Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. Once they believed the lie from the enemy, what did they do when God came to walk with them in the garden? They what? They hid. They got away. They knew they had messed up, they knew something was different. They knew what they did was wrong. So what did they do? They ran. They hid. And discouragement will do the same for you and I today. So what time is it? Okay, perfect time. Perfect. So what do we do? What's the word tell us? What kind of good news do you have for me today? Well, I'm glad you're here today. I got some good news. Is that enough bad news for today? Like the enemy's going to attack you. The enemy's going to attack your mind. He's coming to kill you. <laughs> he wants to destroy you. Thanks for coming. Your enemy's trying to kill you. He's use your past. Not only will he use your past mistakes, but he'll use what's been done to you in the past. Ah, enough bad news. Right? Right? Right. Good news. What do we do? How do we fix it? How does the Lord fix it? How do we tap into the power that we have available to us from the Lord? And the answer is this. We have the ability, with God's help, to reframe our past. To, in our mind, when we think about our past, we have the ability to reframe our past. Before I tell you what reframing is, let me tell you what reframing is not. Reframing is not pretending that the past did not happen. Okay? Reframing is not acting like it didn't exist. Reframing is not 
pretending people didn't hurt you or you didn't mess up yourself in the past. Reframing is not forgetting that it ever happened. Reframing is not justifying what somebody did to you in the past. And reframing is not, Lord, it is not just moving on and getting over it. But here's what reframing is. Reframing is looking at your past mistakes and your past regrets and your past hurt and pain and traumas. And even during that pain, reframing can look back and say, man, I can see God's goodness. I can see where God was good to me even in the midst of that pain. I can see where God was good to me even in the midst of that struggle. I can see where God was good to me even in the midst of that, that pain. The reframing goes back and looks at the mistakes and the regrets, but it doesn't focus. It's not about what was done to you. It's about God's goodness even during that time. And I dare say that if we all believe today that God is good, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and that God is always with us, as Scripture tells us, then even during those struggles and that pain, God is still good to us. I dare you. I love a good dare sometimes. Except TJ dares me to do stuff like stab myself in the hand with a fork or something I'm like kids stop I dare you to think back to your pain and to reframe it and to look at it from God's perspective I promise you if you peel back the onion the layers you will find God's goodness even in the midst of your pain I promise you because God has never stopped being good. God's goodness didn't stop because I'm hurting. God's goodness doesn't stop because I made a mistake. God's goodness doesn't stop because someone else hurt me. God's goodness is there if you look for it. Back in 2009, anybody remember 2009? Juan, where were you at in 2009? What were you doing? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Anthony, what were you doing in 09? I was in Brazil. In Brazil? Okay. They let you back in, huh? They let you in the country. I have a, I have a fear about leaving the country. I'm worried they won't let me back in. So, like, I don't mind leaving the state on occasion. I really don't mind not leaving Davidson County, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I ain't leaving. I'm not leaving the country. I'm not. Callie wants to travel all these places and go see all this stuff. So you better call your mama and your sister. I ain't going. Um, I'm staying in the good old U.S. of A. Bay Bay. Um, in 2009, let me tell you a little bit real quickly about what was happening in my life in 2009. Uh, in August of 2009, I accepted a job at First Wesleyan Church in Kannapolis. I'd been working in Jamestown for five-ish years with the youth group at a Wesleyan church in Jamestown. I took a job in Kannapolis um, early August of 2009. August 31st of 2009, I proposed to my then-girlfriend, now lovely and gorgeous and talented, hot, smoking hot baby mama wife, Callie. On August 31st, I proposed. She said yes, as if there was any doubt and any question about the answer to that question. 
Oh, that was 2008. Okay, that was 2008, y'all. That was not 2009. She just reminded me back there. That what? We got married in 2009. May 30th. Got it. That was a joke. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. 2008, everything's still the same, just a year earlier, okay? August, I got the job. August, I proposed. 2008. It was in 2008. Uh, so, uh, March of 2009, I started working at the church in Kannapolis uh, the first week of September 2008. I was living at home with mom and dad, driving to Kannapolis every day, uh, back and forth every single day. March of 2009, uh, Kelly and I signed a, a, a year-long lease for an apartment in Kannapolis. That was in March. Uh, late March, early April, I hurt my back for the first time. Ugh. And I couldn't walk, I couldn't stand up straight, I was hunched over, terrible, I was hurt, hurt, hurt. Um, I was, had to get two cortisone shots in my back so that Callie and I could get married in May of 09 and we could go to Jamaica. Um, that's the only time I've left the country and that is the only time that I will leave the country. Um, that was in May of 2009. The job in Kannapolis ended in July of 2009. They hired a new pastor there. The pastor that hired me retired. They hired a new uh, leader, a new staff, a new, a new lead pastor, and uh, he wanted to bring in his own, his own team, so he said, you know, good luck in your future endeavors type thing. And so July of, tw of 2009, I was out of that job. So I'm newly married, been married for a couple of months, got a hurt back, can barely walk, and I got no job. Uh, Kelly had a degree in, uh, or still has a degree, in elementary education. If you think back to 2009, you're coming off the whole stock market debacle in 08. There was no um, there was no teaching jobs available. We had to um, go sit in the McDonald's parking lot to steal their internet so that Callie could send resumes to Iredale County, Mecklenburg County, Cabarrus County, Rowan County. We were sending them anywhere. We just needed a job. We'll take any job, any grade, any school, any class, any county. Didn't matter. We needed a job. Guess what we got? Nothing. So, Come Mar uh, see, August of 2009, um, I was not working because I couldn't move. Callie just got a job at a daycare in, in Kannapolis or in Concord. Um, we, paid our la we paid our rent the first month of August on that apartment that I leased out close to the church so that I could be there close to the church, the same church that fired me two months later after I signed that, that lease. That's beside the point. Um, I, we paid our last month in August, and guess how much money we had? Zero. We were out of money. We spent all of our wedding money that we got for our wedding, we spent it all on rent because we thought that was the most important part. And I think that was a good decision. I still think that was a good decision. Um, so August, we were done. We thought something's got to happen by September. Now, if I tell you that part of the story, like that does not sound like a really good story, right? I could have a lot of bitterness towards the people at the church in Kannapolis. I could have a lot of unforgiveness towards the pastor that fired me, let me go, however you want to look at it. Uh, during that time, that phase of my life, I could have had some upsetness, some feelings towards the guy that would not let me out of my lease that I signed two months earlier, and I had no reason of being in Kannapolis. Um, I could have, could have those feelings and those emotions towards those people. However, 
when I tell this story, I don't tell that part of the story. Here's what I tell of the story, was that after we paid our rent in August of 2009, Callie then got a teaching job in Denton Elementary. They had to create a brand new class where they did not have before, and Callie's name was nowhere to be found to teach this class, but we know people in Denton. Her name was mentioned. Callie went and got a, I told you she had a job at a daycare, right? Her first day at the daycare, a teacher friend of mine in Denton called me up, said, hey, they're making a brand new second grade class. If Callie wants this job, tell her to call the principal. I've already told her about Callie. She's looking for a job. Callie called the principal that day, got an interview the next day on Tuesday. On Wednesday, was offered the job. The following Tuesday, which was Labor Day weekend, she started the job at Denton. I could be fairly upset about what happened in Kannapolis, but I choose to reframe it and look at how God worked out every part of our life. God took care of us during that part, and he's still taking care of us. After that, I went back to the church in Jamestown I was working at, just helped them out on the weekends, on Sundays, doing the youth group. Then in about, um, it was January, February, March, April, May, about May of 2010, the following, well, March 2010, we had nowhere to live. We had, our lease was running up in Kannapolis. We didn't need to stay in Kannapolis. We had nothing going on there. Callie was working in Denton. I was helping out in Jamestown. We had nothing in Kannapolis. We were looking for somewhere to live. We couldn't find anywhere to live. Randomly, a girl that we know calls me up and says, hey, I know this house that's empty and they want to rent out. By the way, it's in the same neighborhood as your mom and dad. It's in the same neighborhood that you grew up in. I called the lady up. She gave us a good price. All of a sudden, just like that, we had a place to live in March of 2010. In May of 2010, I get a call from Charles Moses. Charles says, hey, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He said, where are you working? I said, I'm not. I told him about what had happened in Kannapolis. I said, I'm helping out this church in Jamestown on the weekends. He said, we got a spot open. We want to talk to you. I said, cool. So I drive over. I meet with a group of people. I get the job. I with Foster Street for 10 years, two and a half years ago. God calls all of us here to this place to be with you all and you all to be with me. When I tell the story of my 2009, my story of 2009 does not end with Kannapolis. My story of 2009 ends with God's goodness and that ends with you because you all are a part of my 2009. I didn't know it in 2009, but I know it today because I can look back and see how God's goodness in 2009 lead, led me to a lifelong friendship with all of you. You all are a part of my reframing of one of the worst times and one of the most discouraging times of my life. I didn't know, had no clue in 2009 that God was going to send Robert Stover into my life. And I had no idea that Anthony Pugh was going to be a part of my life back in 2009. I had no idea the impact that Rochelle and Jessica and Cassidy and their whole family would make on me in 2009. I had no idea that I would meet Alex and Alex's whole family and Kurt would become a part of my story in 2009. I had no idea 
that God's goodness was looking out for me in 2009 and that you would be a part of it. Reframing the past allows you to go back and find God's goodness. How do you get over your past regrets and your past pain and your past trauma? It's easy. It's easily said, but it takes some work to find God's goodness. Amen? Past hurts, past traumas, past pain doesn't have to be present hurts. Doesn't have to be present pain because God's goodness can be seen and can change your life. I read a quote talking about the flaming arrows that Satan throws us uh, earlier this week. Uh, the quote said this, We cannot stop the enemy from attacking you with flaming arrows, but we can stop those arrows from starting a fire. Does that make sense? We can't stop the flaming arrows, but we can stop those arrows from making a fire in our life. And that is only done through the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness and his grace and his mercy that if we look back in the past, we can see it all the way, even during that pain. Amen. Let's stand together. Come on down. Our, how many people we got? One, two, three, four. A quintet. We got five. What's a five-person band called? Quintet. Thanks, Pew. The Lord brought you in my life, Pew, just so you'd answer that question. <laughs> a quintet. Is that right, quintet? Am I saying that right? All right. All right. Let me see if I missed anything. Yeah, sure did. We'll get it later. We'll get it later. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we thank you for today. God, thank you for you being who you are and what you have done for us. God, I pray today for those of us here today that the enemy has attacked our past, that the enemy has, has pointed out regrets, and the enemy has continually to bring up our past into our present. God, I pray today that you would allow us, you would help us, you would give us the power, you would give us the ability to look back in our past and see your goodness to see your goodness. God, help us today not to allow the enemy to bring past hurts into our present, not to allow the enemy to bring past trauma into our presence, not to allow the enemy to bring past pain into our presence, because even during those hurts, pain, and trauma, and struggle, God, you are still with us, you are still good, and God, I pray today that we will know it. I pray that we will know your goodness. I pray that we won't just hear about it or talk about it, but God, we will experience who you are and what you have done for us. God, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.